So I feel like I'm part of the family. <laughs> no, but I really love Sam so much, and I've recognized faces from the last time I was here. Thank you so much for welcoming me, welcoming me here. Um, I just want to take just a few minutes just to pray for us, you know. Uh, a lot of us have had different, different kinds of weeks this week. Some of us have, have had some really rough weeks, maybe a rough season. And it's so great to be able to come to community where we can just kind of be together and listen uh, to what God may have to speak to us about this morning, each of us on our own journeys. But it's so amazing how when we come together as a community, there's healing, if we allow it. So, so many of us, sometimes we walk life alone. And I think the invitation this morning is to, to live life together, that we're better together than we are alone. So I want to pray for you. And those of you who had great weeks, you're welcome here too. We're, we're glad you're here because you lift the joy. You lift, you lift us, you elevate us, and, and remind us that hope is coming, that hope is there, that there's a better tomorrow than today, you know, and, and, and that Jesus holds that out for us too, that tomorrow can, is, there's always new possibilities, new mercies, right? So let's, let's pray together. Lord, I just want to lift everyone up in this room this morning. Father, I pray for those who have had really tough weeks. Maybe there's been some kind of loss, whether it was a loss of a relationship or maybe a loss of a loved one, maybe a loss of a job or a struggle um, in, in life in general, God. I pray this morning that they would be strengthened by the hope that you bring us. I pray this morning that every one of us would be reminded that you are with us and you'll never leave us. I pray that we would all stand strong against the temptation to run to other comforts that the world may have to offer, that give us that temporary escape, but oftentimes take us even deeper into a hole not long after. So I pray for the strength to be able to run to you for our comfort and for, for the comfort you offer to be enough, that promise that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. I pray that we would all be strengthened by the power of community, that we would really develop strong relationships with each other so that we can be there when we need each other. I thank you, God, for those who are here this morning that have had amazing weeks and that are living in an amazing season right now in their lives. I pray that you would increase their, their blessing. I pray that you would increase their power and their strength. They would grow strong during this time because we know, Lord, that we're, all of us are either in the middle of something, just coming out of something, or about to head into something because that's what life brings sometimes, the unexpected. So I pray in those, those really uh, exciting times that we, we strengthen ourselves in our relationship with you. And they were always looking around to be a voice of hope to someone else. Father, we love you so much. We thank you. Be with us this morning. We invite you here to speak powerfully to us, inside us, and our souls, Lord. Thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, um, so this morning, I want to share something that's been very personal for me, something that's, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about over the course of my life as an adult, basically. And uh, it deals with power, the power that God that God puts inside of us. Like in Romans 8.11, let me just start out with this passage because this is the epitome of power. Like if we believe this is true, then it's a game changer. Uh, Romans 8.11, it says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Did you hear that? It says if the, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, exists inside of you. That same spirit that raised Christ from the resurrection, the power to raise the dead lives inside of each and every one of us. That's an amazing power the Spirit of God has given us. What is that power for? Why, do we, why, do we, why does God place that kind of power inside of us? I think it's to be a voice of hope in the world. 
I think it's to help people understand that God is here for them. And I was listening to a friend yesterday. He was mentioning he was on a, sh- a film shoot. He, he's a, he does something on a film set. I'm not really sure. I'm not in the film industry. so. But he does something. He's like a grip or something. And he, um, he was talking to the people about Jesus who weren't followers of Jesus. And he said, he said they were all talking about how Christ died to... They were talking about how Christ died for us to, to let us know how sinful we are. And he said, no, you've got it all backwards. He said, Christ died for us as a statement for how valuable we are. And so I think the power that exists in us is there to be transformational in the world, to be there for those who are searching. And so I started to think about this. I thought, as I reflect on my life, there have been glimpses of power, of this kind of power in my life. I I look back on my life and I see experiences. I see moments where I show up as this powerful, inspiring, authentic person. And I create this life-changing, you know, these life-changing moments inside of people. But then I look back on my life too and I've seen kind of a shut down, frustrated dude who's kind of angry when things don't work out, you know, who kind of shrinks back when things get tough. I see both of those people in my past. So how can I live more consistently expressing that power that that Christ put in us, the spirit of God that lives in us? And so I started thinking about one of the things that really takes me out of my game is the health of my private life. And I believe that our private life kind of functions as a valve for our power. And if we are, if we are in, you know, in a really unhealthy place in our private life, then that valve starts to close off. And we can't walk through life with confidence and power and joy because we feel so much shame and brokenness and frustration. But when we decide to live, uh, to, to, when we can discipline ourselves enough or grow enough, become mature enough where our private lives actually make us better human beings, then that valve begins to open and we begin to express more love and peace and joy and power to the world. So it might get a little uncomfortable today, but we're going to talk about our private lives. You're not going to have to talk about your private life. I'm not going to, you know, one time, one, one at a time on the mic, what's going on in your private life now? <laughs> No, but I just want you to listen. I want you to think through these things. And I, I, be- I believe if we, if we listen to what the scriptures say and we actually uh, follow through on what God is inviting us to, then we can open that valve and live powerful lives in the world, no matter what we face, no matter what obstacles come our way. And we'll, t- we'll be able to take advantage and be clear-minded of every opportunity give- God gives us with other people. So, so one of the things about, I'm going to sit down. This chair, I guess, is here for me to sit in, right? I'm gonna- that's a very good, good thing. Uh, so the first thing I want to, the first point I kind of want to make is in Matthew 6, verse 5. See, I think we've got it all backwards about, about our, the stuff that's, a sh- that's shameful to us and the good that we do. We, we kind of live backwards in this way. I'm going I'm to read uh, Matthew 6, 5 and 6. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The, the, the way I, I feel we have it backwards is that we do, we do our dirt in the dark and our good in the light. And what the scriptures is inviting us to, what the scriptures teaches us, is to do our dirt in the light and do our good in the dark. Kind of blew my mind when I started to think that way. Because I'm one of those guys, and maybe you can relate to this, who likes feedback, positive feedback from others. And a lot of times I get caught up in 
Everything I'm doing is for the sake of pleasing others, impressing others, making others proud of me. And it's far less about honoring God and, and waiting for my reward in heaven. And so what Jesus says, I think, is powerful. He says, these hypocrites that pray on the street corners, it's almost as if their prayers aren't even getting to heaven because their reward, the reward they get is the praise they get from other people. When they pray in public to be impressive to others, they, it, Jesus is saying their reward, they, they've received their reward. And so if that's all we're looking for, then we can choose that, that life. We can choose that, that way of being. But, but what Jesus is inviting us to is, to is to have the faith, the belief, the patience to acknowledge that it's more than enough just for you and God to have that communication. And that when, that, when the prayers are prayed in private, that's where the power comes. When no, when, there's nothing hindering the power of God to answer your prayers when, there's, when the, the, only, the only motivation is that God hears you. See, when we do things in public, we can't even be sure of our own motivation. We're not even sure what we're, if we're doing it for the right reasons. A lot of times we do things in public, we're like, I hope people, you know, maybe, you know, what are they going to think of me? We think that anyway as humans. We're like constantly assessing what others are thinking of us. But when we're in private with God, we only have him there. We only have him there, and it's his pleasure that we desire. See, a lot of times when we do our dirt, in, when we, by dirt, I mean sin. You know, it's just like when we sin in private, when we hide our sin, we, we, we create this, um, this dissonance in our lives. You know, we create, there's, there's never peace. And so we, even when we relate to others, we have this burden on us. Well, you, you might even find it if you're married, you find that, that tension. If, if maybe you're not being completely honest with your spouse about what's going on in life. Maybe you're struggling at work or there's some struggle you have in your life and there's a, they keep asking you what's wrong and you're like, nothing. It seems like something's wrong. Nothing's wrong, you know. But there is something and it's, it's that private life that's kind of out of whack sometimes that, that we need to assess. So, so like you might hide, like I was praying earlier, like we need comfort. Man, we need comfort from life's troubles. We all need comfort. We look for comfort. That's one of our, it's one of the things we need as human beings. And that's one of the things God offers to us. But sometimes what I've realized in my life is that comfort that God offers is not enough for me. If I'm being honest, I'm not, I'm not proud of that, but sometimes that's, that's the honest truth because God's comfort, the way I read the scriptures, the the comfort that God offers is that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. It doesn't say he's going to make us feel instantly better in that moment. It doesn't say that he's going to remove us from the difficult situation. It does say that he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us, that we're going to be growing through our suffering and that there is hope tomorrow. We have all these promises, but you know what, what feels better than, um, than God's comfort sometimes is going to watch a movie and escape and just kind of live in this other world for two hours or to go grab something to eat that tastes so good that just gives us that pleasure that t- takes us out of the storm for a minute. Or maybe it's even more, you know, more like drugs and alcohol or pornography, or whatever it might be that we retreat to, to just escape from the moment, to, to make us feel better. We're, so what I've had to do in my life is, I, you know, I live so long with those other comforts. Even as a follower of Jesus, I, would, I, I didn't, not leaving me, not forsaking me was not enough. I needed something tangible that I could see and taste and feel that removed me from the struggle and the pain I was experiencing. And so what I've had to do um, later in the last few years of my life is to become, is to train myself to be, for, for God's comfort to be enough. For that promise that He'll never leave me, that that's enough. His presence in my life is enough. 
I don't need something else to add. Now, those things, not the illegal things like drugs or whatever, but a lot of these comforts that we run to, that we overdo, they're not bad. They're meant to give us pleasure. Good-tasting food. I mean, who doesn't love that? But we ruin it when we just use that as God. You know, when that becomes God in our life, then it's like it's not even enjoyable anymore. It's like a, it's like a, a burden to us. So I've had to retrain myself to allow God's comfort to be enough to sit, stand there in the storm and allow him to show up. But a lot of these things we do in hiding, we do when, 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 when we think no one's looking. And what we're saying in that moment, when we do something that maybe we're ashamed of, we don't want anyone else to know about, we're saying that either one, we don't really believe God exists. Because if we believe God exists, we would know that he sees everything we do. And it's not to be some, you know, big brother checking in on our lives all the time. It's that his love is so deep and wide. And why would we not want to acknowledge his presence in our, when, we're, when we're doing that stuff? So either we don't really believe God exists and sees what's going on in our lives, or number two, which is, might be even worse if we're followers of Jesus, we don't care what he thinks. We, we do those things in hiding and we just don't care what he thinks. You know, and an, an indication might, uh, of, you know, what that indicates, if, you, if we tend to hide ourselves and, and do these things in, in hiding that, that are shameful and make us feel, you know, they comfort us, but they also give us more guilt and shame, is that we care more about, we're, we're people pleasers. Because we, don't, we, we just don't want others to see. We don't want others to know what's going on in our lives. We don't care if God knows. So the shift we need to make there is that God that our, like, like Paul says, whether I'm in this earthly tent or the heavenly mansion, I make it my ambition to please God. So not only do I need to train myself to become, so that God's comfort is enough, I also need to train, you know, I've had to retrain myself to please God with my life instead of always trying to impress others because that's so superficial. When God, when Jesus teaches about building your house on the, on the strong foundation, on the stone, he's talking about that private life, that relationship with Christ, building your life on his foundations, on his truth. So I have a son. He's 14 years old uh, now. Uh, but when he was little, probably before he was three, maybe two or so, he used to do this thing that Laura and I, my wife Laura is here too, by the way. Uh, give her a round of applause. No, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, so, uh, yeah, sorry, I got a little distracted there. Um, when he was about three, we noticed him doing something that we did not know, we didn't understand what he was doing. He would like look at us with this mean look on his face and just touch his wrist. I'm like, what is this, some kind of tick? What is he, what's going on with, with this guy? You know, and every time, it would happen often. She, she noticed it, I noticed it. And we couldn't figure out what he was doing. He couldn't really talk. He didn't talk till he was four. I was so worried about that. Like, three? I don't know. It took forever for him to start talking. He had this other little friend that was the same age, and he was talking complete sentences like a year and a half. I was so worried. Anyway, it all works out. If you have little kids, don't worry. It'll work out, you know. But, um, but yeah, he would always touch his thing, so touch his wrist. So I would, I, one day I was sitting there watching TV with him. I was watching, uh, we were watching Buzz Lightyear, you know, this cartoon that he loved. And I noticed that when Buzz Lightyear was shooting someone, he used a laser on his wrist. <laughs> so he was shooting us every time he got mad at us. That's what he was doing. I noticed it, so I started testing it. I'd be like, Jacob, you need to get down from there. He'd go. <laughs> He'd shoot me. <laughs> and so when I figured out what he was doing, I said, That's, you're, not able, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Stop doing that. You don't shoot daddy, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so he would get more subtle about it. He'd be, I'd be like, Jacob, you know, stop doing that or whatever. And he'd go. 
He'd just reach over and touch it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even aim it at me anymore. He'd just touch his wrist, you know, give me that laser. So crazy. Anyway, so I remember this hiding thing. This hiding thing starts early. If you've had kids, you know. So one day, you know, when, you, when your kids get quiet, you've you got to check and see what's going on, right? So Jacob, he's an only child. So this guy, he, he created imaginary friends and, like, scenes, and he would be, we'd always hear him in his room, you know, making all these sound effects. And it was, it was just, we just knew where he was and what was going on most of the time. So he gets quiet this one time. We're sitting in the living room. He's somewhere in the house. We don't know where he is. And it's quiet. He's like, Jake, Lars, like, have you seen Jake? I'm like, no, have you? No. So I walk into his room, and I see this big lump under his covers. And he's three, he's three or four. He's still very young. And I'm like, or maybe he's two. I don't even know how old he was. He was very young. So I, I go over there, and I, I'm like, what's he, what could he be high? What, what's he doing? I pull over. He's got this whole box of chocolates that he had taken out of the, out of the kitchen. And he had chocolate all over his face. And the, he's just looking at me like this. Jacob, what are you doing? He goes, shot me, you know, I couldn't believe it, you know, at two years old, he's already hiding, you know, hiding what he's, what he knows is wrong, at two he knew, you know, I, we'd give him chocolate, but he wanted the whole box of chocolates, you know, and so that's the, that's the thing about, you know, I just, it starts so early, and it, it, it's ingrained in us, we don't want to do the things that we're ashamed of, or that bring us, you know, that might get us in trouble, we don't want to do those things in the light, but the invitation is to do our sin in the light, because that's where the healing is. And also, I mean, how many of you will do your sin in the light? You won't. Because there's accountability in the light. There's, there's love in the light. There's um, power and confidence and connection and relationship in the light. You know that when you're around people you love, that if you do the things you do in the dark, that you will hurt them. And it's right there in front of you. And that's why community is so powerful. And that's why hiding is so destructive. So, um, so the invitation for that first Matthew five, Matthew six is shift it. It's counterintuitive, but change it around. Do your sin in the light and do your good in the dark. Do your good in the dark. We need, you know, why are we doing our good in the light? A lot of times it's because we just want, you know, especially in the, in the age of Instagram and Facebook, right? Look what I did today. We went down and fed the homeless, you know. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's cool. It's awesome. It's encouraging. But we've got to check our motivations. What, what are our motivations? And if we struggle with hiding, just for a while as an experiment, don't tell anyone about the good you're doing. Don't tell anyone about the, the way you're serving or the way you're praying. Just wait to see how God begins to interact with you and interact with the things you're praying about. Just test it. And, and the other thing, which is a little more risky, find someone who's trustworthy, who you trust, who you know will, will uh, help you heal, not judge you, and begin to expose some of the things that you've kept hiding because of shame. And watch how they help you heal. Watch how they help you become whole. Even if it's this, this um, tendency for bitterness. You're just bitter about life. And you can hide it okay, but pretty soon it's going to come out. Pretty soon you just can't hold that in. Maybe you're super critical of people. Maybe you've you got that Sunday smile on every time you come, but you're just like judging everyone and so frustrated with how things are working out for other people, but not for you. Man, just it's, it's scary. You think you're going to be you know, rejected. But community is so beautiful. Community is like the, the body's immune system. These antibodies, these, these beautiful people start to come around you and heal you and support you. They're not the disease that, that our sin is that destroys us and, and, and kills us. They're the healing agents. 
And, that, and that, just test that. Just experiment with it. Share something that you're afraid to share with someone you can trust. And then don't say anything about the good you're doing. Just pray in private. Do your good in private. People might see it, and that's fine. The Bible teaches us. Do your works before men so they glorify your heavenly Father. But it's never meant for our glory. It's meant for his glory. So um, that, that, that could be a powerful experiment you, you do. Um, another thing, I just, I just told you, to, I just encourage you to allow God to be enough comfort. But now I'm going to say something that's going to sound contradictory and maybe even heretical. Okay, and here it is. Don't kick me out and don't tell Sam not to invite me back. But the truth is, God is not enough. And God made it that way. God made it that way. We need each other. You look through the scriptures, no one was invited to live life alone. And even with Adam and Eve, God wasn't enough or they wouldn't have made the choice they made, right? They had God. Actually, they even had each other, but they didn't have enough people. They just had each other, (laughs) you know. And they, they, were, they fell. You know, you see people who are living lives in isolation thinking they have a relationship with God that's enough. It's not enough. In fact, I mean, if, we, if we're honest about our, our sin and the stuff that we do in private, the only people there are us and God. So, I mean, even based on our own lives, is God enough? No, God, of course, he is enough. But the way he's crafted us, he's made us dependent on each other. We need each other. We need community. We need people. So don't ever be isolated. Um, in 1 John chapter 5, it's just a great example of this. It's a great word of exhortation about this, um, about being isolated and about needing others. I know I'm jumping around a lot, but there's so much good stuff in this book. So much good stuff. Um, 1 John, I'm going to start with, let me check here, 5. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the dark, we lie. And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship one with another. If you are wondering why some of your relationships are not working out, if you're wondering why uh, you feel a disconnect between yourself and others and even those you love and those that love you, it could be because of your private life, that things are not in alignment with who you are, with who you say you are. This funny thing about, about living out what we believe. Like if we say we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God is our rock and that God is, uh, the scriptures are, are, are meant to be lived out in our lives, but yet we live a life that doesn't align with the scriptures or doesn't align with God's desire for our life, then, then what happens is we create a dissonance. If we live, if we, if we say we believe something, but we live something differently, it creates a dissonance inside of us. And when that dissonance is there, we can't live in that dissonance for very long. That tension of saying we believe one thing and living another way. 
We just can't live in that for very long. So one of two things happens. Either we realign our lives with what we say we believe, or we just simply change what we believe and decide to live this other way. But we can't stay in that tension. It, 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 it's hypocritical. We, we, we can't live with confidence and joy when our private life is not aligned with our, light, our life in the light. So that breaks down our, our connection with each other. You know, I know there are so many of us, so many of you, who are so talented and so gifted. And uh, for me, for a long time, I, or at different times in my life, I felt like I was holding back, that I was just not giving all of myself to whatever I was involved in, whether it was work or whether it was home or church or, or wherever I was in the world. I was just kind of holding back. I knew there was so much more. I would even say things like, I could do that better, or I could do, I could do better than her or him. And I would say all these things, but I was still holding back and not doing it. It was this, this critical spirit started to come up in front of me. It was because I was lacking confidence, because things were not lined up in my life. I wasn't living fully in one direction. I was like going backwards and forwards at the same time. And what does that do? That keeps you in the same place. So, so this is another reason why our private lives are so important. It's because we walk a certain way when we're aligned, when our lives in the light are aligned with our lives in private. We walk with this, this godly confidence. And, uh, and when, we're, when we're not aligned, when there's dissonance, we're, we're, we're going in all kinds of different directions, like the winds and the waves. We're just taken by life. So aligning our lives, aligning how we live with what we believe, gives us a strength. It strengthens us and gives us a confidence from God that allows us to face and create beautiful things in the world, face obstacles and begin to create things that heal the world. And when I say world, I mean the world, the whole globe, and I mean your world, the world you live in, the coworkers you ha- are around every day, your family, um, your friends. You know, when you think about how much you love God, how do we measure how much we love God? You know, for a lot of Christians, unfortunately, we measure how we, much we love God by how often we show up at church or by how often we read the scriptures or how, how often we worship God. Those are all necessary expressions of faith. They're meant to strengthen us, and we, in community, we study the scriptures together, we worship together, it's a beautiful thing. But the real measure of how much you love God is how you treat others. That's the only measure. The only measure is how you treat those who you love. How do you treat your husband? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your children? How do you treat your coworkers? How do you treat strangers, enemies? How do you treat enemies? Because God invites us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So even how we treat our enemies is a measure of how much we love God. There is no other measure. We know, we know how much we love God in our private life. Because we, that's, but there's just us there. The, the expression to the world of how much we love God, the, the measure of how much we love God is how we love others. God's love or love from us to the world makes God visible. God is an invisible, but our love makes him visible. So our measure for how much we love God is not how many things we do at church or uh, you know, reading the Bible and things like that. Those are all important things to build our faith and to build our community. But the real measure is how we treat others, how, much, how we love others. So keep that in mind too. All right, so I want to just uh, kind of share a few things about light. Like I said earlier, healing is in the light. There's not really healing in the dark. There is. God can heal you without... God can do whatever he wants. But the way he's created us is to need each other. And, God, and, and he says that if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship one with, with another. He'll heal our relationships. He'll heal our brokenness. And he'll use the community, which is this beautiful immune system, 
to fight off the disease of the sin that we create in our life. So healing is in the light. Love is in the light. And in, in, the, in the dark, um, our private life matters. You might think that what happens in private doesn't affect anyone else, but it does. And so my question would be, does your private life make you a better human being? Does what you do in private make you a better person? Does it make you more loving, joyful, patient, kind, good? Is that the result that comes from what you do when no one's around? Is your relationship with God in private strengthening you? Or is it the other way where you're, maybe God's not even a part of your private life? And in your private life, you're, you're doing things that you know you would never want anyone to... to I'm saying this as a person who, who's with whoever is in this situation. I'm not coming at a high place saying, I don't have this, I've never struggled with this. Or I'm saying this is a part of the human existence and the journey. And we, we, we get to be, we get to choose how. God's a gentleman. God's never going to force his way into your life. He's never going to push his way on you. His invitation is always there and he's always present and with you. But it's our choice about how we relate to him and how we relate to those things in our life. So is your private life making you a, a better human or is it breaking you more? Is it making you bitter and frustrated and angry? Is it, is it robbing you of your confidence and your joy? Just, just assess it on your own, and, and then you can strategize for how to shift, shift that around and make it better. Now, here's an even higher level question. Is your private life making others better? It's one thing. It, it will, obviously. Your private life, if you get things aligned with what God invites you to, your private life will make you a better human being. It'll, it'll strengthen you if you're praying and, and praising and worshiping and, and serving and doing all these things when no one's looking. It will make you a better person. But, but what about, like, what are you strategizing? What if you started strategizing for the good in other people's lives and never told them about it? You just decided, there's one person I'm going to start praying for, and this is what I want for them because I've listened to them talk. I know them so well. You may know your son or daughter so well, your wife, your husband, a coworker who shared things with you. And then you, without ever, ever telling them, oh, I'm praying for you. You know, we get some benefit from saying, I'm praying for you. You know, it feels, it's good for them. It's encouraging, I'm sure. But a lot of times it's like, I just want you to know that I pray. <laughs> you know, but what if you just prayed for them and just watched God work? And even when they begin to celebrate the things that you've prayed for because they're coming true, you never say a word. You just celebrate with them. You know, where your private, private life means no one else knows about it. Because as soon as you tell somebody about it, Jesus says that's when you've received your reward in full. So they may not ever even get the benefit of your prayers because your reward was telling them you prayed. So, so is your private life making not only your life better, but is it making others' lives better? Another, another thing that we need to discipline ourselves for, I said we, we've got to make God's comfort enough and we've got to, I forgot the other thing I said, but another thing I want to say is uh, discipline yourself to wait for God's reward. That's tough. We're, we're the immediate gratification uh, species, actually. I was going to say generation, but I think this has been, maybe there are older generations that are better at it than us. I don't know. They can put off gratification, but for the most part as human beings, we want to see things right now. And so we don't wait for God's reward or we don't, we don't even believe God's going to give us reward. But he does. He says, I'll reward you in heaven. I'm storing up for your, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So, the, so it, it's very challenging. But if you decide on yourself you can, to do it, you can grow into You can strengthen yourself to not need 
positive feedback from everyone, not need add a boy, add a girl, not need that to make you continue to keep you going, to be the incentive in your life, but just waiting to see the God, the rewards God is storing up for you. That's, that's another way we can discipline ourselves in our private life. Like, like, like I just said a minute ago, the minute we tell somebody about all the good we're doing, we received our reward. And that reward's not being stored up in heaven by God. We don't, I don't even know what his rewards are. I have an idea because I'm going to read a passage that's going to blow your mind in a second about his reward for us. But, but that's, a, that, that's another way to align yourself, your private life, with what God is inviting you to. And then, oh, this is what I said earlier. Acknowledge that what God thinks about you matters most. It doesn't matter what your husband or wife thinks. It does matter. But in, in, in terms of uh, your, if you are living a life as accountable unto God, that covers all of your relationships. If you're honoring God with your life in your, in your private life, then you're honoring your relationships in your private life. That's what I mean, in your public life. So I can tell my wife, I, she can be my accountability partner or another friend. I have a lot of great friends who are, are just spiritual influencers in my life. I can, I can be accountable to them. But if I'm willing to do whatever it is I'm doing that I've agreed not to do, if I'm willing to do that thing, then I'm willing to lie to them about it. Because on the scale of sins, my sin that I'm ho- wanting to be accountable for is less than telling a, a lie to somebody about it. So there's not really a safe place there's not really a, an effective place to be accountable unless we learn to be accountable to God. Now, our community strengthens us, and having those relationships around us strengthen us to do the right thing. But until we are aligned and accountable to God, we won't truly be accountable in all of our other relationships. So we've got to get to the place where, and that's, that'll affect our private life so much, if we acknowledge that what God thinks about us matters most. That, that covers all of our relationships and all of our commitments in our lives. We'll follow through in a powerful way if we can get that right, if we can get that part right. Okay, so I'm going to read this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the one that's going to blow your mind. Even if it doesn't, just say it does. Because 1 Corinthians 4, um, 4, starting with verse 4. My conscience is clear. Actually, I'm going to start with verse 1. Let's give a little more context. Chapter 4, verse 1. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each man, person, each will receive their praise from God. Each will receive their own praise from God. That's the mind-blowing part. We come to church on Sundays and we have small groups and even in our private lives we may praise God and give worship. But the scriptures are saying that one day when Jesus returns, we're going to receive praise from God. Is that not mind-blowing? He's going to praise us? I mean, all the little like words of encouragement we receive from others, they, they do give us a little spark, and it's cool to encourage each other. But imagine receiving encouragement and praise from God. So at this point, so Laura and I have been married 21 years, and I know a lot of you have been married so much longer, inspired by those who have, who have lasted, because marriage can be a tough journey, a beautiful journey, baby, beautiful. But sometimes, right, we've all worked through stuff. We've all gone through stuff. 
And it takes a lot of commitment and work to get through it all and to make it uh, for life, because that's what our commitment, right? For life. Um, so, uh, but early on, you know, when you get, I got married at 21. You know, I didn't, Laura didn't know everything about me. And, you know, because when we're, especially when we're dating, you put that, that good foot forward, right? We didn't have a fight really until our second year of marriage. We were just like, sure, lots of things irritated us, but, you know, we just kind of let it go. And our second year, we uh, dealt with stuff. <laughs> Tough, the toughest year for us was second, well, one of the toughest years was our second year. But uh, there were things about my character she didn't know because I was too ashamed to let her know. I was too ashamed to let her know some of my struggles. And so um, about seven or eight years into our marriage, she became aware of some, of, of, of some things, and it wasn't pretty. And it, it hurt her so much, and it hurt me too. But, you know, there's a funny thing when you're in this relationship and something comes out that you're ashamed of or that they did, the other person didn't know about, and all of a sudden, you've been hiding for so long that you now feel free. I felt so free and liberated, but she was so hurt and broken, right? So I was like, thank you. I was like so grateful that this happened because now I don't have to carry this burden around anymore and I can deal with it and finally be over it or whatever. And, and she was still struggling. And I, I, I remember just, I kept saying, I'm so sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. And she, finally she said, Ricky, stop telling me you're sorry. I, I'm a follower of Jesus. God is going to restore me and heal me. But where is your relationship with God? See, even in that moment where I had caused her so much pain and, and this big thing in my life was, you know, was, was we were dealing with, I, was, I still cared more about what she thought than what God thought. And that was the problem. That was the problem. I can, I can hide from all of you, but I can't hide from God. And so this passage came to me while, I was, while we were going through that. And he says, I'm going to bring to light those things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then it says, at that time, each man will receive his own praise from God. So I thought if, if when Jesus returns, that's what's going to happen. I wanted to disclose everything in my heart now. I didn't want God to have to do it. I, want, I wanted to disclose the motives of my heart right now. And at that moment, I, I, following those, day, those days, as painful as it was, I could say definitively that there's nothing else in my life that, that I'm hiding. I was in the light in every way. There was not, I was, even though was, I was embarrassed and ashamed, there was nothing hiding anymore. There was nothing I had to keep hidden. I could openly speak about this. And, and, I, and like I said, the community came around me. And Laura actually, is, oh, I can't even begin to describe how healing Laura was for me during this time. As, as much pain as she was in, it was like a, an immune system. Like I said, the community became an immune system and began to heal me. And Laura was part of that too, my own wife, who I caused the pain. So that showed me how connected she was to God. But I, honestly, I was, this is, I'm going to close with this. I was, ri- I was driving to work, and I started to feel the guilt and shame that, I al- that was just kind of like a friend. It had been such a part of my life for so long, this, this heaviness and guilt, that it just started to come over me again. And I started to, th- I, I was just kind of dealing, going through it, and just like, you know, spitting in my Cheerios, or whatever the phrase is, you know, just like, feeling sorry for myself and just going through it. And then, I, and then it, it occurred to me, wait a second. There's nothing in my life that's not exposed, that's not right. And I don't know if it'll stay this long for very much longer, but right in this moment, I am completely clean and healed. And I realized what I was doing. I was, I was like a circus elephant. You know, when, when they first start training an elephant, they tie a chain around his ankle and they put a stake in the ground so deep that the elephant can't pull it out, and he realizes he can't go anywhere, so he just stays there. 
And then after five or ten years, the elephant's been on that chain for so long, and he's been trained by that chain, that they don't even have to put the stake in the ground. All they have to do is put the chain around his ankle, and he'll just stay there. Won't even move. And I realized that's what I was starting to do. I was like, was I going to live a life uh, in bondage where I'm not even in bondage anymore, but I'm going I'm to walk around in sin and, and shame and guilt? Or am I going to accept the invitation to move forward, to align my life with God's desire for my life, to ha- have my private life begin to make my life better and make the lives of others better? And that was a major change, a major turning point in my life. So I know I've said a lot, kind of babbled probably, <laughs> but I, I hope that we can all see that our, essentially our private life is a valve that controls the power that's released. The power that is inside of us, given to us by the Spirit of God, is endless and immense, and it will accomplish more in your life than you could ever ask or imagine, like the Scriptures say. But it's up to us to decide how much power we're going to release by deciding how we're going to relate to God, how we're going to uh, walk in the light, do our, our shameful things in the light, and do our good in the dark. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. So grateful to you for life and community. And I pray for every person in this room. I pray for this community, that this would be a, a, just like a light for the surrounding areas and that people would begin just to flock here because you are doing something amazing. I pray for Sam as he's in Mexico doing these amazing things and how he continues to lead this community, his servant heart. I just pray your blessings on him and his family, his sons. I'm not sure if he has daughters. I know he has daughters-in-law. But everyone in his, in his family and in his community here, I just pray your blessings on Genesis. We love you so much. We thank you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.